So I am now joined by musician, socialist pundit, This Is Revolution co-host, uh, man about town, Jason Miles. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing great, man. It's a lovely day here in, uh, in Rosarito in Mexico. And uh, I'm here with my very lovely lady friend that was nice enough to let me use her phone because mine is too old to update to get the app. Fair enough. Um, well, so one one thing that I thought we could talk about today is a uh, video essay that uh, that you put out in which you uh, you decided, I guess, to uh, to celebrate Black History Month by by remembering <laughs> <laughs> by remembering one of the the most beloved uh, black cultural icons of the late 20th century. Uh, <laughs> I did. I did. Um, I figured uh, last year for Black History Month on This Is Revolution, we talked to no black people. And, uh, <laughs> I tried to keep that that going this year, and uh, we, we didn't work out. We've had... We've had Coloreds on, and uh, <laughs> I figured double down, just double down, and and see how close to cancellation we could get with the uh, Cosby essay. All right, all right, fair enough. Um, well, you know, we can, uh, you know, I, I look forward to the OJ one in two thousand twenty-three. <laughs> no, we're going full Clarence Thomas retrospective. Okay, <laughs> get the. Uh, Get the thumbnail with the the like Coke can, and you know, and you you have your eyebrows raised next to it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just yeah, curly Q on a Coke can, and that's that's the thumbnail. <laughs> that's, that's that's the plan. Yeah, man, that is because there was a whole there's a whole like. Uh, Pascal was giving me this, like, the skinny that I guess Clarence Thomas was a big time black nationalist. And uh, I was like, really? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think Corey Robin actually, I don't know if it ever came out or whatever, but I remember years ago he was writing a book about Clarence Thomas. And that's, I, I think, kind of what it was about the way that, like, the sort of, like, weird kind of, um, you know, right-wing black nationalism ended up translating itself into just being a champion of like regular like white conservatism in the uh, in uh, in the United States. You know, through like sort of self-reliance ideology. I think. Well, a it, lot of that shit is super conservative, so it's not kind of a far-off notion. I mean, even re-examining, you know, Bill Cosby. Yeah. The, the the video essay actually was going to touch on Cosby a little bit, but it's going to be more about New York in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think I was telling you this in an off-air conversation. I was Pascal had sent some some video to us a while back of Ed Koch in the early 90s, I think right after he stepped down from being a mayor in New York. And he was like, this is why I hate Ed Koch. And so that sent me down a rabbit hole of um, of of more more videos and articles about New York in the 80s and then Ture and I had a conversation Ture Reed and I had a conversation he was talking about 
the uh, economic state of areas like Bensonhurst has sent me down another rabbit hole. So I had got all this footage that I was cutting up and I would send it to Pascal and I was just traumatizing the shit out of that man. (laughs) (laughs) And then he got the traumatizing back on me by giving me one of my Bay Area natives, uh, W. Kamau Bell's uh, Bill Cosby documentary. And I just was screaming the whole time I watched it. So the three of us, me, Pascal, and Teray, would like take turns calling each other, yelling about how mad we were at this at this uh, docu-series. And then I decided to kind of make uh, a response to that that I think also kind of leads into I think issues that we deal with in the world that we exist in with parasocial relationships. Yeah. So it it seemed like what I got out of the video essay, at least is that, you know, it was really about two things. uh, One of which was, um, you know, kind of the perils of, you know, parasocial relationships, because if, um, you know, uh, that, you know, Bill Cosby was not the character that he played on the Cosby show, which is also the character that he decided to play, you know, in, in real life, <laughs> in real life, <laughs> but that still wasn't him. <laughs> nope. and, uh, he was Bill the Thrill. He was a different, he was a different dude. Doors. Yeah, exactly. Uh, much like, much like everybody else is, uh, you know, that's, that's yeah. why. You know, it's it's always I always tell people it's very unhealthy to have parasocial relationships with anybody except Bernie Sanders or me. You know, those are the only exceptions. But, um, but then uh, then the other thing is more or less what uh, Ture you referred to earlier in his book calls uh, race reductionism yeah. uh, because a lot of a lot of what the the video essay is about is you know kind of before the plot twist where we all find out that you know bill cosby is a serial rapist although i think that was a you know not very well kept secret for a long time before people started um you know people started talking about it in a public way but you know before that you know talking about the the, this character that he's playing on the cosby show and then in real life after the cosby show and how that's kind of related to a certain um i don't know vision of what like uh of what a good middle class life is is like and and how it's good that you know post civil rights black people can have this now and and you're yeah. related and you're related that to the way that um especially in the post civil rights era the these um class divisions uh, among black people uh, sort of become more and more dramatic because at least under, you know, under uh, Jim Crow, you know, there's, uh, I, I mean, I've just been reading Therese Father's book about this, you know, at least officially, right, you know, everybody is under the same thumb, but, you know, but after that, you know, you, you kind of talk about the L.A. riots. Um, after, <laughs> I do, yeah. After Rodney King at the end, you know, and the juxtaposition is pretty dramatic, yeah. Uh, well, we're doing a show today, actually, in a few hours about this, the life of free people of color in, in antebellum uh, South. And I think there's these these super flat narratives of the black existence in the Americas, of mm-hmm. being one of just simply bondage, of roots. Like, that's it. It's just roots. Yeah. Right? Um, and it, it's, it's definitely more complicated than that. 
like even trying to examine Native American slavery mm-hmm. or enslavement, um, which lasted centuries. <laughs> it's way more complicated than just you know the five tribes that own that own slaves uh, in certain parts of the country. Like a lot of them were enslaved, even in in the western regions mm-hmm. uh, of the Americas. So. <sighs> Cosby's is part of that that era post-civil rights that reimagines King as a more conservative pastor and the radical nature of King is, is definitely erased. The civil rights movement is strictly about inclusion mm-hmm. and not about fighting capitalism. But I mean, that also happened within the movement as well. And in Cosby's era of, you know, th- they are the victors of racial democracy and what do you get ultimately for the majority of poor and working class black people? You just kind of get imagery of uplift. And that imagery is, is so based in a fantasy land. And that was why New York of the 80s was kind of so important for me to examine. And, and unfortunately, I couldn't fit all of what I wanted to fit in in, in 15, 20 minutes. This show starts in 84. It literally starts in in a time where New York was going through a, a, an extremely hard financial crisis, and they're cutting programs for for poor kids, black and brown kids. Property values are plummeting, um, and the subway becomes a very dangerous place. And you get Bernard Getz, you know, shooting three unarmed black teens. Uh, and eventually, ultimately, kind of getting off right. for it. And that's when the show starts. And it never, ever talks about that. Do you even have to ask yourself, like, do these kids even take the subway? Like, apparently, <laughs> they're supposed to be living in the boroughs. They're just never taking the subway. You know, Theo never has any issues in school. And apparently, he goes <laughs> to a public school in New York. And he's got posters of, you know, Brand for Mark Salas on his wall, (laughs) (laughs) anti-apartheid. Like I'm not saying there weren't people like that, but it's it's such an homage to uh, an upper middle class upbringing. And also, what Cosby represents is like the death of what the notion of black culture was before that, which was good times and that's my mama and what's happening now. It is the death of those shows. Yeah, um, I was just thinking. You know, there there is a there is a strong tie in here to the uh, Clarence Thomas uh, conversation because, in a way, right, like the kind of ideology that like leads Clarence Thomas to become Clarence Thomas is also more or less what's represented, you know, by the Cosby Show vision, right? I mean, that like, yes, the, yeah. Like the yes. clips, clips you show with the video essay, you know, it's it's like all about like how you know whatever, like the sort of like heartwarming, like uh, uh, you know, Doctor Huxtable being a good dad and like you know bullying, you know, bullying his son into into also being a doctor and like that's the that's the path, right? I mean, that they, uh... <laughs> and that's how the show starts. Remember that what, what was interesting about that, and they talk about it a little bit in the in the Kamal Bell thing, and and, and I did find that yeah. to be kind of. Even though it's it's supposed to be about like how do we reckon with dealing with Cosby, I, I felt it was a, a very bit of an homage, right? Um, if you think about that first episode, and 
and I'm not going to sit here and act like I didn't watch the Cosby show in the eighties. I'm a 44 year old man that definitely knew it was must see TV for me, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Richmond, California. So in that episode, he's kind of flipping on its head, that notion where Theo has that speech. of why can't you love me for me? And it's that tough love dad. That's going to, that, that's going to, come through in that episode that really starts to from day one he is the beloved father mm-hmm. knows best character that from time to time actually takes the back seat to his wife right which is kind of interesting right when you think about who the actual man is and and yeah. what he ends up doing to even to his own spouse yeah yeah no this is this is very true uh i i did when we were talking about this off air uh admit that uh you know bill cosby uh the perhaps the single comedian in all of existence who most richly deserves to be canceled as the uh, you know, <laughs> world burns uh, is, uh, is someone who um like i used to love cosby like i didn't um i didn't watch the cosby show as we established you know in my in my household you know we never watched anything that wasn't on fox but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um but uh like i had i remember you know I, i'm um you know whatever i'm a couple years younger than you but you know same rage uh mm-hmm. you know turning 42 in a couple months like i had a cassette tape of uh bill cosby's stand-up comedy uh which which included some of the bits that are that are in the clips that you used in the video essay that like i listened to like many times as a kid i thought it was hilarious uh and you know the how long can you tread water and all that mm-hmm. and um and i actually saw him do stand-up in like was it like ninety ninety eight or 99 or something uh you know when uh when that wasn't even like the main thing he did anymore but uh, so so it is it is very, very strange uh, knowing who he knowing who he really is. But I also think it's interesting. And I mean, I do want to get to um, John and Thomas's calls. Like maybe this will, you know, after you, you know, kind of give you a chance to touch on this, you know, then we'll, sure. then we'll go to their calls. But um, but it is interesting, though, to me, looking back on it, that like, OK, generally speaking, the way that like American, you know, liberal progressivity kind of um, essentialism about uh, about race or or any other axis of oppression, the way that it usually works is uh, well, everybody's uh, every like you know you should just like listen to what people in Group X say about form of oppression X and. Uh, you don't need to worry about people disagreeing with each other, never mind having different class interests because oppressed groups are all hive minds. Except, of course, that, like, there are conservatives, but they sort of don't count, right? That they, they're, mm-hmm. they're like, um, yeah, sure, there's, like, you know, like, like the, you know, there's, like, Candace Owens or whoever, but that's that's not the voice of black people. You know, the voice of black people is, you know, liberal black people. But, the, <laughs> I mean, that that is literally the, you know... The worldview, but the weird thing about it, looking back on it, right? Because, like, you know, I mean, whatever. Like, I, as I, I think has been well established, I, I did watch every episode of the 
first like 10 years or something of the Simpsons a hundred times. And like, they would have like super loving episode references to Bill Cosby on there. And it is interesting looking back on it. Right. And that was like Bill Cosby, the like, you know, Cosby's book on fatherhood and stuff like that. And, and it is interesting that like Bill Cosby back then was an exception that, you know, that he got to be a black man with an extremely conservative message who was still loved by liberals. Well, because I think there's this notion that anything black is liberal. Yeah. Um, You know, there's people that believe that every colored cat is the vanguard of the revolution. And Cosby also did some things that I'm sure people will view as progressive, like his series on race Mm -hmm. in the early 70s. And uh, I did actually take some footage from that, but it didn't make the it didn't make the final cut because it kind of just wasn't very interesting, in my opinion. It was more like, you know, black people trivia mm-hmm. than, than anything else. And that, if you watch the Kamau Bell series, they make it seem like that was the turning point in, in black life when I, I would push back really hard on. That. <laughs> there was, there was, there was way better programming um, at that time but one one thing Cosby got and, and I asked the question in, in the series because I'm still trying to ponder it myself which is um, it's also marketing at a certain point and we're, and we're not looking at it as, as marketing and when he got that children's market it, it was really kind of like some next level shit if you think about it because how many entertainers of his ilk were able to have that many generations under their belt that they were like marketing to. (laughs) So by the time he rolls out his show in 84, you know, he's got the older crowd. That's my grandmother's age. And I know who he is from reruns of fat Albert. (laughs) And, and even watching the HBO comedy special for himself as a young person. So he's got from grandmas on down to children our age that are mm-hmm. going to watch that show. And you kind of understand like, oh, this is this guy just kind of a marketing genius? Because <laughs> <laughs> keep in mind, NBC was a fledgling network. Mm-hmm. And and Brandon Tartikoff is kind of looked at as a bit of a programming genius because, you know, he comes in and turns that network around with some shows that people didn't think were really anything with Cosby and Cheers and then, you know, later Night Court. Thursday nights in the mid to late 80s, NBC had television, had eyeballs on lock from 8 p.m. to, to 10 <laughs> and and a big reason for that was Bill Cosby then spinning off the other show Different World for a long time. It was almost like, look, I'm played out and and this is old, but I can I can do it for a younger audience with this show about black college life. It, I I kind of have to shake my head and be like, was this guy just a, <laughs> yeah. a marketing genius that at some point just believed his his BS too much? Yeah. I mean, I think he probably kind of was, right? I mean, that's, yeah. yeah no, that makes sense. Uh, get some calls in. Thomas, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Awesome. 
Um, well, I had a, there's a question that's been roiling the, the, the online left uh, all day. Uh, and I want to, I, I, I know a little bit of Ben's answer because I saw it on Twitter. But I wanted, Jason, your answer. Who's the most left wing member of This Is Revolution? <laughs> I knew you were. <laughs> yeah, first of all, I want to say this. That comes from Jean Bajlan on, I think, a Reddit board. And someone was talking about that on a Reddit board. And there, the, the Reddit <laughs> person's answer was Gene and Jason. And me and Gene thought it was funny. And Gene is way too bored in the UK to put that <laughs> shit on Twitter. And I saw that and I was like, motherfucker. Uh, you know who I would say, honestly, that has like the, the most interesting? Gene. Ah. It's a, it's a toss-up between Gene and, and Pascal. Like, I, I learn a lot from, from actually all three of those dudes. I would be sitting here and lying to you and say I don't learn a lot. I actually have to... Uh, this weekend edit a video essay that Kuba did on uh, Russia and the Ukraine. But um, it's between Gene and Pascal for me. But but I lean harder towards Gene because he actually has some like super uh, lefty, lefty politics. I I mean, I guess I'm, I guess I I said this on, on Twitter, but I guess I'm just confused about what the, what anybody thinks the, the political differences are. I mean, like there, there are surely like, you know, different takes on certain things and, um, going to be real careful about how I put this. So I don't, you know, <laughs> I, I don't start any shit, but the, uh, I think that, I think Pascal, you know, I think there's some, some rhetorical holdover from other positions he might've had at other points in his life, you know, but like, yeah. uh, you know, but like in terms of like his actual politics, like what does he, uh, you know, what does he want and, and how does he want to accomplish it? Like if there is a difference between like what Pascal thinks and like what you think or what Gene thinks or, you know, even what CIA Cuba thinks, like I, I don't, you know, I don't know what it is. It's, it hasn't been made clear to me. It's 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 the funniest shit ever, and I and I I saw it, and I was just like, "Son of a bitch!" And I was hoping that no one would see it. <laughs> and, uh, I I I'm still shocked people are voting on it. I think it's hilarious because I will say this: everyone that votes Pascal, you just make my job harder because his head gets bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so. Just remember that when you're voting. Like, we, do we want to make this tougher for Jason to have, get shit done? <laughs> I, I feel yeah. like, oh, sorry. You were saying, Thomas. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I feel like Pascal's, like, uh, rhetorically is maybe the most, like, extreme, I guess, maybe, in a sense. I don't know. Like, he's the most, he has the most rhetorical flourish. But I don't know if that necessarily means he's the most left, whatever that would mean in that context anyway. Yeah, it I think that mean anything, but yeah, it's funny I, to say. Yeah, right. no, fair enough. I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, if you read past like what Pascal writes for like Newsweek, which is weird <laughs> to say, right? But like, he, uh, I don't, I certainly don't see a, a distinction there, right? Like he, and even like you know, I mean, even on like social media, there are the sort of like shit stirring Pascal posts, but there's also the things where he's just kind of earnestly like giving you his take. And the yeah. ones where he's earnestly giving you his take, I mean, I just don't see, I just don't, I just, 
don't think that the rhetorical difference goes that deep. Like he has this, you know, because of his family history and because I think it fits with a certain kind of like self-conception he has. He has some like residual nostalgia for the Soviet Union and stuff, but he's not like it's not like he like what he actually advocates when he talks about how socialism should work is like, yeah, we should like recreate the Soviet Union. You know, <laughs> That's, you know. there's no gulags in his in his. Uh... Right. He's definitely not a gulag guy. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. I had I a long that, talk with Pascal. I had to get up early this morning to, to pick up to pick up my uh, my lady friend from the airport, and Pascal and I had this long talk because I got interviewed yesterday, and somehow we got into discussion about his race class, and uh, it kind of it, it fucked with me like all night, and I had to call Pascal at four a.m. my time, which is seven a.m. his time, and. Uh, we had an hour and four minute conversation <laughs> <laughs> kind of about what me, what we're talking about here with, with Ben and uh, whoever is the most left, it, it doesn't mean anything to me ultimately, but I do. I, sometimes I wish people could be privy to some of these private conversations that we have. Yeah. Um, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You you don't uh, <laughs> you don't you don't want the uh, you don't want the like conversations about um, you know like the uh, the the sort of like rady women conversations and stuff to be you know to be on no. YouTube. No, no, <laughs> no, no. You don't. There's there's the, like the conversation Pascal and I had this morning. Even that would have to be like edited because there's definitely words and shit we were throwing out. Like, I always should say that shit. I can't say it live. And definitely when I talk to Ben Burgess on a personal phone call, I would hope no one is recording it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you have to ask Kuba about that, but fair enough. Well, thanks, guys. Love, love both shows. Tir, tir, and give it, give them an argument. Thanks. All right, thanks, thanks Thomas. Thomas. Ugh. yeah. So what's uh, so speaking of tir, what's uh, what do you got coming up? What's like what's what's on the docket right now? Um, you know, uh, Pascal. I'll, I'll, you know, let's stay on Pascal's the most left. <laughs> um, he got to burn his britches, and I won't say who lit it, but there was definitely uh-huh. another person that kind of pissed him off. And he wanted to do this show that I kind of tried to hold off on. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it came time, like, the Piper's here. We're doing a show on the life of free people of color in, in uh, the antebellum south um and definitely people of color owning slaves and you know pascal <clears throat> has been doing a lot of uh research on his native haiti and mm-hmm. desalines and and uh and Toussaint overshore owning slaves and Toussaint's attitude and then you know black education and and the, the hbcus mm-hmm. like he just kind of went off and and he's been on a tirade of sorts so this is one of those shows where luckily I get to kind of lay back more mm-hmm. and try to mitigate any sort of damage but on the same hand it's like the truth is the truth sure 
And if people are going to get mad and want to quote unquote cancel us about it, there's nothing I can do about that, I guess. It's a good show. The book is actually very interesting. Uh-huh. Um, but that, and then on Saturday, we're doing a fun, for me, fun show um, using science fiction as kind of a narrative for where we are today. Um, and how the left can also use science fiction as like, you know, motivation and grand narratives. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, did you have an example? Um, the guy's uh, book, his name is Michael Harris, is called Come With Me If You Want to Live. Uh-huh. Which is the line from uh, Terminator, Terminator 2. 2 yeah. And so each chapter is a different um, science fiction um, movie. Mm-hmm. And he's got one chapter. It's called, like, uh, How Back to the Future explains to us the the death of middle class security okay so, yeah so no, that's crazy 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 shit like that we're gonna get into you know he also wrote a book about um star wars being using all the star wars movies as a as a grand narrative for the left to explain like kind of where we get things wrong and where we can get things right and also the importance for for grand narratives when it comes to like organizing and growing out a bigger, uh, more robust left. All right. I like it. All right. Let's hear from Matthew. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to ask a question sort of related to the Bill Cosby theme, (coughs) which Mm -hmm. is how would you assess the politics of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, do you think that ah. that do you think that that show uh, is basically in the same kind of political milieu as the Cosby Show? Do you think there are any significant differences between the message of that show and the Cosby Show and the way it portrays black life and class in the black? Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is an interesting take. Um, we had a young man come on our show a while back named Jose, who has a YouTube channel. It's called Just Jose. Um, and he did a retrospective on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I thought it was actually really interesting because he brought up some things <clears throat> like Quincy Jones was really instrumental in getting that show done. And he wanted to show the conservative side of black life. Um, And one thing that happens in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is that Bel-Air kind of shapes the character of Will Smith um, in a way where his hood persona that he comes in the show with kind of gets called out as an aesthetic. And the Fresh Prince also exists in a post-Cosby world where you have to start acknowledging certain certain inner city, certain things that people are dealing with in the inner city, right? So you have to acknowledge, like, police brutality. Where Cosby show, it just doesn't exist in 80s New York for some reason. It, it exists for, for Will and, and Carlton. But in a very comedic way, because it's like, well, your your uncle and dad is a judge. 
So you're never really going to get into real trouble. And even the quote unquote trouble they had got into, if you remember that one episode was like they, they were driving someone's car or like transporting a car or something like that. If I remember correctly, um, there is a lot of pull up your pants rhetoric in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And he, he kind of does. If you watched the first few episodes, he kind of ends up pulling up his pants towards the end of that show. Yeah, Hello? and it it does seem like it's uh, it's 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 it seems like there's some kind of message about uh, father absence in in that show, and basically, it, it does seem like the show implies that one of that like the central problem or one of the central problems like the root of the problem facing young black people like will is father absence yeah i mean that was the message of the 90s we have to really go back to the 90s and remember that that was just the theme like i I think people forget that Again, being 44, I remember very well, that's the first stat in, like, I think Boys in the Hood is, like, a black man, 25% of black men are dead or in jail, and you won't live past 18, and by the time you get to Minnesota Society, that's, like, kind of the theme of that movie is, I'm lucky to live past 21, which is, like, it's silly, but... Yeah, yeah, but he also has a father figure in Uncle Phil, and I think the bigger point is like you need a father figure. But I, I I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, like I was saying that I think the part of the narrative is that Uncle Phil steps in as the father figure mm-hmm. and gives Will what he needs and sets him on the right track. Yeah, I mean, I wish all of our dads were the voice of Shredder from the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I'll plead the fifth on whether I ever watched the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, but uh, I uh, I did watch the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> he did so many cartoon voices. I was kind of shocked to find out how many voices. <laughs> I mean, there was there was episodes of that show. There's a there's a episode where Will Smith is like sad because he sees his dad again, and his dad comes back, and he's gonna like take him back, and then he doesn't, and you know, it's 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 also a moment where Will Smith actually breaks down and, and, and acts for the first time, right? He's, he's no longer just being kind of the buffoon. Um, and if you watch that scene, I kind of find that to be a bit of a defining moment for that show. And Will Smith, the man, the actor, because you see right there, it's like, okay, now he's an actor and he's not looking back. And that's that's kind of an interesting uh, moment on that show. And he's yeah. also been kind of big on respectability politics as well. Yeah, and I haven't I haven't seen it yet, so I don't have anything to say about it. But I know there's now a a dramatic version of yes. Prince, Prince of Bel Air called Bel Air. Yes. Have you seen that? Uh, I tried to watch it, and 
we watched it on uh, my show. This is Revolution behind a behind a paywall, so we wouldn't get YouTube to kick us off or whatever. And we just yelled the whole time because you know they changed the complexion of the people. It's it's edgier. Because the real story, it's it's Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I don't know if a lot of people know this. That's a real person's story. Um, I can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head. He's a producer, um, and he really did move from I think it was South Central to either Bel Air or Beverly Hills, so or, or New York. But it, it definitely definitely came from like a hood and went to Beverly Hills and it was his story and Quincy Jones dug it and they wanted Will Smith to do it. And the rest is history, but they're making it a little bit more accurate to the actual dude. So it's really dark, which is also kind of just silly. Yeah. I, I still, <clears throat> I still kind of want to check it out. I'm just too curious. <laughs> I mean, check it out. Ch- dude, check it. Look, I'm on Twitter uh, at TIR Show Oakland. Check it out and be like, Jade sucks. Like, <laughs> like, let me know. I can only watch like five minutes and I turn it off. Like, sometimes there's things like, I'll watch it all the way through. And and definitely there's things that I probably shouldn't like, but I, I did watch all of Insecure on HBO. So I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm better than the world. So. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. also see that. Uh, Terrace Martin and Robert Glasper did the music, uh, and I like them. So I might just oh. watch it just for the music. I mean, shows like look. Let's be honest. Shows like that are put together very well. I, I'm not gonna. Uh, I, I hate when people try to kind of hold their nose up and act like they didn't watch. Like I'll always say, I watched the Cosby Show. I can still point out the contradictions and issues that I have with it. But Robert Glasper doing your score or soundtrack. Okay. <laughs> like I'm not, it sounds awesome. Okay, thanks so much for taking my call. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, well, I should uh I should say for for people who want more of uh Jason's takes on things like this, uh we did a episode uh patron episode for Give Them an Argument on um uh, allegedly on the movie Drag Me to Hell. Uh, with uh, with Jason and Teray, <laughs> and there was like at least forty five minutes that was uh, that was like uh, getting into uh, other movies and TV shows. And I think there was actually an extended riff on Will Smith in there, but I couldn't. Yeah, I could, yeah. so yeah. Uh, that's uh, that is coming out for uh, for patrons uh, day after tomorrow. People should uh, should check that out. And uh, they should also uh, they should also watch watch this revolution. I mean, if you have enough, if you can you know if you can stretch your budget to be a patron of two shows, you know, I mean, you can do worse than having, you know, that be the second one. Obviously, if there's only one, then it's got to be GTA. But if if there are two, you know, can do, you know, you can choose between this revolution and Left Reckoning. So. <laughs> I always tell people that this shit ain't Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can stretch if and if you can't fucking just just watch it man just watch it I'm, i i please <laughs> all right well but i i will say this if you guys can do it the episodes that teray reed and i do with ben burgess are some of the most fun i get to do in this industry that i find myself in now <laughs> like yeah. that is the epitome of hanging out backstage after a show is me to and ben 
talking shit about movies and then talking shit about Ben <laughs> for multiple hours. Like, it, it is very enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the endorsement like that. All right. So, check it out. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, oh, uh, next month we're doing American Psycho, so that should be fun. Oh, that should be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks again, Jason. Left is best.